What is up, golf fans? We are back for another week of bringing in some dough on DFS. Uh, as always, I got my trusty partner, Sia Najad, with me. Sia, how you doing? Me? Oh, wow. That was that was so sweet. Thank you. Um, I'm doing well. I'm really excited, and I can't decide, Joel, why I'm excited. I think it's because this is a no-cut event, and and I don't, I don't know if whether people realize this or not. It's like, you, you know, like the pressure's off a little bit in terms of, like, the stress of Friday, like, finding out whether or not, like, Sergio was going to make the putt or, you know, not make the putt or Corey Connors or whoever, whatever chalky guy you think is a good ball striker this week. So I'm kind of excited. You know, I don't know how well you did last week. I made a comeback on Sunday. Again, I only talk about last week because that was also a no-cut event. Um, I made a comeback Sunday, so I didn't do really well, but you know, I, I kind of broke even, uh, really did well in my cash builds and did okay in some of my GPPs. But what's interesting about this one, Joel, I, I'm curious what your opinion is because you know, last week, if you really wanted a dumpster dive in the 6K range, you're looking at like Raphael Campos or Johannesson or some of these guys that we kind of didn't even really know who they were, or if we did, it was just marginal. Well, in the 6K range here, it's there's actually some guys, you know, there are some guys that can really kind of go off two, three days. Does that I'm just curious, does that give you more confidence going into this week or less confidence or the same? It doesn't really matter. Just different because you're spot on. There's more guys you can feel good about down there, but there's also more guys at the top that are better golfers. So um, kind of the same. I think one thing I learned from last week that I'm going to take into this week is a lot can change over the weekend when you get four days, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, when you don't get four days, you're kind of stuck with what you got after, you know, going into Saturday. With four days, you can have a guy who's like in last place who could end up being in a winning lineup if he has two good days on Saturday and Sunday. So uh, with that being said, let me let me tee it up a little bit more for us, all right? So what we're doing this week, we got a, we had 60 golfers. They're going to be walking in Memphis. You know, that's uh -huh. what I'll be walking. So we're going to Memphis, all right, the tournament. Yes. World Golf Classic, FedEx, St. Jude, okay? So um, it's a little bit different event. Uh, typically, the top 50 golfers in the world get invited. And then, like, winning some big tournaments, some of the more um, bigger-named events, those guys get invited as well. So that's how they kind of rounded out the field. It's not all that big a field. So like Sia said, there's no cut, which makes things a little bit more interesting. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit similar thought process, if you will, from roster construction standpoint on a Saturday and Sunday showdown, right? Because we've already had the cut after, and those are the guys left, and now we can just narrow down our pool from there. So there's another way to think about it. Um, there are some really good and interesting DraftKings events, unlike last week, which would kind of be more interesting on how we're doing our roster construction and things like that. Uh, but with all that being said, um, it's still going to be about getting six guys that compete, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, even though there's no cut – You'll be able, you'll be alive all weekend. Uh, you know, picking bottom feeders that don't do well, you're not going to be able to cash and make a lot of money. So that's kind of how I'm attacking the week. Um, see, let me ask you this: before we dive into things, what are the good course stats, if you will, that kind of stood out for you for this week? Well, first of all, Joel, the Mark Cone walking in Memphis reference <laughs> is really great for those of you that are too young to know who Mark Cone is or just not musically inclined. I literally, after this show, not during it, I want you to YouTube Walking in Memphis and Mark Cohn will come up and I want you to listen to that song. I would say in my lifetime, there are somewhere in the range of 
40 to 60 songs that are literally, I shouldn't say literally, figuratively timeless, where you listen to them in 2021 and they're just as good as when you listen to them in, let's say, 1993. And that, without question, is one of those songs. No matter what kind of music you like, whether it's country or whether it's hard rock or whether it's classical, whatever it is, I'm telling you, anybody who has not listened to that song, please go check it out. It's actually kind of inspiring. The guy's voice is uh, his voice is timeless. It's a really great song. So Joel, I'm I'm, I'm so glad you made that reference because <laughs> now after the show, I get to um, I get to go listen to that song. So we'll see. Take, before before we move on, yeah. I will tell you, I have been known to put on my blue suede shoes. Oh, well, now you go, just and go sing that song in karaoke. Now I don't do it justice, in fairness, but that is. Oh, my this favorite. is a real comment. Oh, oh yeah. Do we have any video footage of this that we can put on social oh, media? No, no, no. Uh, we're gonna have to make that happen okay everybody everybody watching which (laughs) appears to be a number of you at this point um hello everybody thank you for tuning in we got stovey in here of course bobby is in here he's he's excellent um in in case you're late to the party what joel just said what he just committed to was doing karaoke (laughs) specifically the walking in memphis song so he comes down to south florida sometimes last time he was here he hung out with michael vick so next time he's here i'm going to make sure i find a karaoke bar and he is going to fulfill that promise that he kind of sort of might have implied that he might follow through on so okay so the answer to your question joel in terms of metrics so a couple things. I think off the tee is important, but I don't think it's super important. I'd like my guys to keep it in the fairway. I think, and as in as far as the off the tee game, I mean, keep in mind there's a lot of dog legs here. I think you're gonna you're gonna you're going to have to dial down on some of these holes, regardless of how long you are off the tee. The par fives, there's only a couple of them, I believe that they're not super attackable. I think what you really need to hone in on is, you know, some of these recent tournaments we've had, sort of like wedge fest, where your second shot's been, you know, 125 or in. Here, it's really 125 and out. I mean, I think almost 70% of your shots are going to be between 125 and 200. A lot of that 70%, and that's that's a ballpark figure, it's really between 150 and 200. So if you are the kind of person to kind of narrow down on proximities, I would definitely be taking an extra look at 150 to 175 or 175 to 200 or just 150 to 200 as a whole, because I think that's important. Um, around the green game, I gave a little bit of a percentage to, uh, nothing major, but you should pay attention to it um, for, for nothing else than the fact that these greens are really small. I mean, the square footage on these greens, it's one of the smaller greens that you're going to have. So having a good ball striker is great, but they're not all going to be landing on the green. So these Bermuda greens, I should say. So um, I think around the green is important. Putting on Bermuda, if, if you can kind of see those splits, a lot of guys I like are Bermuda positive, if you will. So we can talk about that later in the show. But um Approach game, the long irons, that's going to be really important. Bermuda and, you know, just being a good ball striker in general. I like it. I like it. For me this week, uh, one thing I'm doing pretty differently is my priority above any of the strokes game metrics is um, bargain buying, salaries, Mm -hmm. finding the best golfers. I find with these type of events, I mean, I think last week I'm not counting because it was the Olympics and the course played really easy. Uh, and yeah. so a lot of guys could score, and I think it neutralized the field a little bit. But that won't be the case as much this week. And um, I do think that the cream are going to rise to the top. Now, that doesn't mean only play the 10K range. Not at all. I actually think there's plenty of value to be found lower. But my thought is pl- finding a way to squeeze in that value, it's almost more important to me to play the value that I like. And then if I can't afford Morikawa, 
I'll play somebody else maybe at 9K because I got five other guys that I really think I'm getting the right numbers on. So that's how I'm attacking this week, less on the strokes gain stuff because in this field, there's 35 guys that are A golfers or A minus golfers. Right? Every mm-hmm. guy here is good. So, you know, we're we're talking for me, the way I look at it is we're talking who's slightly striking the ball better this week versus they did the last two weeks. It's 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 a mute point. These guys are all gonna be good ball strikers for the most part. So I'm gonna try and find my edge on just uh on the salary savings and and, ro- and forming rosters that are um at an advantage uh, by you know having better players for their price. Yeah, and I think a big point is is to distinguish this from last week because it really is going to be harder to score. I mean, the the, the scores are going to be vastly different so you know on saturday and sunday when you have your 6k guy in there like um he better be a guy that can score you know he you know and i don't know joel maybe we'll talk about him in the 6k range i don't know if ryan palmer is that sort of ilk or type of golfer you know we'll have to talk about guys in the 6k range because i think no matter what it is going to be somewhat stars and scrubbish even if even if the the scrubs part of your lineup is just one 6k guy i feel like because of all the stuff up top that you you might like in the 9 or 10k or I guess in Colin's case, 11K range, you're going to have to dip down below, in my opinion, the lineups I've built have all dipped down below like that Harris English range, which is going to be really popular. I think he's 7,400. So it'll be really interesting. I think lineup construction is really interesting. Actually, Coach here, who is a big fan of the show, thank you. And by the way, he was all over Twitter um, for really good reason. He's giving us props, Joel, among, among some of the other analysts on Twitter who do a great job. But I think more importantly, as it pertains to him, he's been cashing in cash lineups, I think now five or six weeks in a row. And, and I, I know you don't, I mean, Joel, you don't need to do cash lineups. You win like $30,000 every other week or 100000 or whatever. But I think for most people, bankroll management, and this is what I've been trying to preach this week with some of my friends that, that might not even be listening to the show, is that you know get into some of those 50-50 contests. Even if it's not a lot of money, just, just to see how you fare. If if you're picking a, like a twenty five dollar double up and there's nine hundred people in it, or or maybe there's only like two hundred people in it, whatever it is, you want to you're really going to want to know no matter the sport how you're doing against the field in these fifty fifty contests because what ends up happening, Joel, is you do these GPPs where only twenty or twenty one or twenty two percent get paid, and you might be on the outside looking in on more often than not because from a probability standpoint that's what's going to happen, and you think oh I'm just not really good at this, uh, you know I must be doing something wrong, and it's like well. Yeah, you're not perfect at it, but again, only one fifth of this field is cashing in these tournaments. And for the record, it's really only like one tenth of that one fifth that are actually like really cashing. So try to maintain your bankroll the way Coach do, does it. And he, here he is chiming in right here. He says five weeks in a row, and then bankroll management. Well, let, those, let, go let me jump in here. So I think it's important to give some context just on how I'm building for this week too, because it, it will kind of let you know where my mind's at for when I go through the player pool. Uh, as a reminder, not to brag, but I did qualify for the World Championship of Fantasy Golf, which starts this week. Show off! Uh, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because it is making me do roster construction a little bit differently than normal. And this is why. Normally, right, I play the big GPPs. I'm swinging for the fences. I'm trying to win a 1% pool and be as the top as I can. For this, for this uh, World Golf Championship for Fantasy, the difference is the first week I have to qualify. So I, there's 250 people. I have to get in the top 100. Whether I'm in one first or 100, that doesn't matter. I have to be in the top 100. So I'm not looking to get in first place. I want to have a safe roster that's going to just advance because my points don't carry over once I'm in the, I'll advance the next week and start over. So 
it's almost like I'm playing a little bit cash like because I need to have a roster that's just going to advance and I don't want to have I want to have my floor be very high this week. So that's how I'm playing this week, which might be a little different than I normally play. And keep that in mind as I'm giving my plays because it probably will look different than how I would normally attack uh, a week. That's really interesting. I actually didn't know that started this week. So that's really cool. I, I um I'm gonna want to monitor that. I know you're not super big on Twitter, but maybe updates in Discord or something like that as each day goes by. I would be really interested to know whether or not you get into that top 100. That's super cool. Uh, <laughs> Bobby, uh, <laughs> thanks. Hopefully that gave you a laugh. Uh, in case you, for those of you that watch, uh, you know, we try to make you laugh here and there and we mix in some stats along the way. So uh, hopefully it's a, it's a worthy watch, but Joel, I, I guess that's it from a uh, from from prefacing the tournament mate let's get into it let's dive right into it and you know what while we're at it see ya, i'll kick us off this week in the in the eleven thousand and ten thousand range so cool. um as i was saying right my strategy this week is to be a little bit more balanced i'm actually not taking that stars and scrubs approach because okay. i want to be able to have a really high floor so in this top range um there's really only two guys i'm targeting and there's a third that's kind of maybe a maybe in and I like Brooks a lot. So if you want to play Brooks, I totally am down for that. He tends to rise in these types of tournaments when all the big fish are playing. It gives him a little extra motivation. So Brooks would be the guy at the top I would target along with the obvious Colin Morikawa, who the way he's playing right now, it's hard to not, it's hard to fan. Like probably you have to build at least one lineup with him this week because he's just playing too well to fade him in, in a week. So mm-hmm. um, at the top, those are the two I'll be looking at. And then the last up top as, as somewhere to be different um, is probably DJ. And, you know, the early numbers look like he's going to be a little higher owned than I was just thought he would have been. And if that ends up being the case, I won't go there. But if he does end up getting closer to 12% or 10% or something like that, um, I think I want to go back to that DJ. Well, he tends to do well at these events. He has been playing better. And I think people are going to be turned off by his miscut at the 3M. But before that, he had a few really good results. And, uh, I think we can find a DJ if it's a good ownership number that would make sense for GPPs this week. Gia, what are you, uh, Sia, what are you looking at? Yeah, it makes sense. And it's funny because I have the same two plays at the top and then I has sort of have like an ownership leverage play as well that, that can pop, but it just happens to not be DJ. So let me start with Colin and Brooks Kepka. I mean, we don't really need to sing the accolades of Colin Morikawa, do we? I mean, I, I can tell you just from looking at, you know, my modeling, he's pretty much number one in everything, you know, last 24, last 36 rounds. And when I say pretty much number one in everything, I'm actually not being like facetious or sarcastic. Like, you know what, Joel, let, let, let's just take a look at some of the things that he rates out number one. in, just so people understand what they're dealing with here. Well, um, in my model, he ranks number one. So th- there's your first one on approach one, 125 to 150 proximity, one, 150 to 175. Ouch. He's two. Well, that's no good. Uh, let's see. Uh, good drives, number one. Par fours, 450 to 500, number one. Uh, greens in regulation gain, number one. Now, I'm cherry picking. There's some stats where he's not number one, like the putter like around the green. Like There are things where he can potentially struggle. But l- let me give you some perspective on Colin Morikawa. Last week, he lost strokes on approach, which he never, ever does, and still finished tied for fourth. So like consider that if, if and of course he he gained a few uh, with the the putter which he doesn't necessarily do all the time, but if his approach game is even nearly what it normally is, he wins the Olympics by like a lot in my I'll, opinion. I'll add one more thing to that. I heard a stat on the Golf Channel last week 
that Colin in college, so this is he's probably improved since then. This was in college. His six iron had a better accuracy than the average tour player's pitching wedge. So he is just a superior iron player to other golfers. And that's just a fact, right? So we all know the 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 fact with Colin Morikawa is he's not typically known to be a great putter. If he makes putts, he should win every tournament he plays. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and as far as Brooks goes, I, I'll tie a bow on that. If, you know, he does rise in, in these types of events, WGCs, majors, of course, he's got a really good track record there. Um, three of his last four measured rounds. He's gained over eight strokes ball striking. Of course, ball striking is off the tee and approach combined. Think about that. Over eight strokes ball striking in three of his last four measured rounds. It's just so elite. So the only problem with Brooks is he's he looks to be maybe the highest owned guy in this entire tournament, or it's, it's at least trending that way where he's like in the 25-ish percentage range, and that's not like great. But again, if you really like Brooks, play him, maybe be overweight on him, maybe get different elsewhere. There are, there are ways to play chalk, but, but I did want to point that out, that both him and Jordan Spieth look to be super popular. Colin, not quite as much because he's just really expensive. The, the last guy, and looks like Nick's going to join us in a second, Joel. Um, the last guy I want to mention before we bring Nick on is Roy McElroy. So the stats don't really speak to me, okay? And, and I never am on the Roy McElroy train, but I got to say, Sometimes you kind of have to watch a guy to, to see where he's actually trending instead of looking at the stats. And there was, first of all, he was, he was good last week, but there were so many opportunities that Rory missed last week. First of all, he seemed to be better with the driver, which is always has been a problem with him. The approach seemed to be there. He gained strokes putting overall at the Olympics from a number standpoint, but there was a lot that he left out on the table. And if he had really caught fire, which he very easily could have last week, he really had a shot at winning that tournament or the Olympics, the gold medal as well. So I think we're like people are down on Roy. His ownership is going to be really low. He might not seem like a good course fit. I think it's a really good time to take Roy or to pivot to Roy off one of those really popular guys. The one thing I will add about Roy um, is that he does this game tends to do well in terms of just scoring, right? Like even though he might blow up and double bogey, like he does, he gets a lot of birdies and like, you know, he might finish the day two under only, but with seven birdies and five bogeys, that's a good two under for DFS. So uh, I will I will add that portion of it, especially guaranteeing him four days. Nice. Well, let's bring on Nick. So, well, he's he just stepped away, but he's going to come on soon. You know what? I guess let's go to the 9K range. We can have him catch up with us, right? Let's do it. Let's, let's head in. See, I want you to kick us off in the 9K range. So the problem with this range is it's so rich with talent. Uh, I don't even know what to say. I mean, obviously, first of all, Justin Thomas is overpriced. I'm not interested in Justin Thomas. If you want to be contrarian, let's see what his ownership is going to be. I mean, he's in the double digits. He's going to be low owned, though, it looks like. I think Victor Hovland is great, but I think I'm skipping that range because I'm so enamored with the, a lot of the guys in the 10K range, namely Morikawa and Brooks Kepka. So I might go all the way down towards that Cantley range. I haven't necessarily come around on Cantley or Daniel Berger. Um, Cantley just seems to disappoint me. Although on the first cut yesterday, I was talking, we were talking to Rick Gaiman and um, Cantley does rate out really well on these courses that have small greens. And when I say real well, I mean really, really well. And obviously he, his ball striking is great too. So he makes sense. I think I'm more interested in Scotty Scheffler and Paul Casey. The only problem with Scheffler is his ownership appears to be almost as high as Brooks Kepka. So clearly everybody is sort of on the Scheffler train and as well, they should be His ball striking has been great. His putter can get hot. He's like literally the perfect GPP play, 
but it's just something to know that he's also going to be really popular. So you could maybe take a safer play to like a Paul Casey, for example, and also avoid some of the ownership. But to answer your question, the guys I like here are probably Scheffler, Casey, and Louie. There's just no argument against Louie at this point, so I'm not going to even pretend to make one. The ball striking is great. That's what I'm looking for. He's been His recent form is great. And I think, and I'm looking now, his tournament history, pretty good. He was sixth here last year, 20th the year before, so that's not bad either. And he's clearly in better form than he was last year and the year before, so he's primed to contend here, in my opinion. Those are my three main guys, Joel. I like that. I'm with you on Louie. I think at this point... Uh, I'm taking the opposite approach with Louis as I am Justin Thomas. With Louis, it's like play him until he shows me a reason not to, right? He's competing every week. And Thomas the other way. I can't lose any more money playing him until he gives me a reason to play him. At this point, uh, his game is lost. Um, we haven't seen him playing like we're used to. And at this price, it's just not – like if they had him $1,000 cheaper, I might roll the dice on him and say he could show up. But at this price, you're really relying on him. And he just hasn't shown me anything that, that I can rely on. So I am out there. I do like Hovland a bit. I think the most interesting thing about Hovland to me, again, is the price. I think he's every bit as good as that top tier, maybe at the bottom of it. But I can build a little bit uh, more bottom-heavy roster with my top guy being 9,700. So um, I like Hovland, and I think Hovland can get me a top 10, which is a pretty safe, you know, for for the way I'm thinking about this cash lineup um, and should get me a good amount of points. Now, if you are playing a GPP and you want to look at that for this range, two names just to keep an eye on, and let's look at the final ownership before the week's up, are Bryson and Hideki. I like Hideki more because Hideki's been striking the ball really well. And like it always is with Hideki, he's you know around the green game and putting can be shaky, but he's been elite striking the ball. And his ownership as of right now doesn't look all that high. Very so low. Very low. So if you're going to mm-hmm. get someone who can be one of the best ball strikers in the field, that low of ownership, sign me up, especially for those big GPPs. And Bryson is really just an ownership player. So we know he's capable of going off in a given week. And, and let's not forget, I think people are down. He has feel like he haven't been playing well recently. He was playing well at the Open. He blew up on the last day. So it wasn't a bad week. He had like three really strong days and a blow-up. So um, I still think there's something there with Bryson. And again, if you're getting another guy who's that good at golf, that low-owned, those are the types of guys you want to be targeting in, in those big GPPs. Um, that's it for nine K range. Hey, so I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring Nick on. And then uh, Joel, I have a question from you from, from Andrew in our chat. Uh, Nick, what is up? My boys. Hey, how are you doing? What's up? How you been? You guys like millionaires yet? Probably. (laughs) Well, Joel is. (laughs) What's up? How we doing? Uh, thanks for joining us, man. So we, we just went through the 10 K and nine K range, but I, before I ask you sort of Nick, who you like in that range, I do want to bring this question on board here. So Andrew's asking, cause he, you know, this obviously Joel, this is in the context of you building for the, for the world, for the championship. Um, are you start? Do you think I don't want you to give all your trade secrets away, of course, but do you think you're actually starting that lineup in the nine K range? Yes. So as of right now, the lineup that I have built is starting is started with the my most expensive player is Victor Hovland. Okay. And so is it going to end up to Andrew's question? Is it going to end up being like a cash game lineup? The thought process is that yes, because the only way that in my mind that that can crush me is if someone like your twenty five percent owned uh, Brooks Kepka wins the tournament and I don't have him. And that means 25% of the field is probably ahead of me. But even mm-hmm. if Brooks doesn't win, I think I can be okay without having him. So it's 
you just got to make sure one of those really high owned guys doesn't win. And then mm-hmm. I, I'd rather, then I'm good with starting like that with a Hovland and then just making sure I have a floor of all guys in the top 30. I think that's going to cash in, in most cash lineups. That makes sense. That's a great answer, I think. Um, so we kind of covered this, Ivan. So let's let's go around the table. Um, Joel, I'll start with you, and then I'll go to Nick. Uh, how do you feel about Cantlay as a GPP or a cash game play? So for Cantlay, uh, the biggest thing for me is ownership, which as what I see now, again, that's going to all change by Thursday. It's a little – it's it's you know, he's it's what I would expect for his ownership. It's not that high. It's not that low. It's about, you know, what, 15 16%. So um, – if you like him, you know, he's he can definitely compete. I'm not a big Cantlay supporter. At 9,300, I won't be playing any of him. Uh, I think he's the type of guy that when he does well, he'll get you like 12th, which at mm-hmm. this price just isn't good enough. So for that reason, uh, like they say in Shark Tank, I am out. Gotcha. And Nick, uh, is Cantlay going to be in any of your lineups? Is he a, is he a play for you? He's not. He graded. Where is he at here? I'm sorry. I should be. Actually, yes, he will be. He. Uh, I do have him in the top 10. I thought he was like damn near close to 20th. But no, I, I don't love the ownership. I have it right around 15 to 20 percent. I haven't really dove into ownership and definitely wait for the uh, article on Win Daily to get that because those are probably the most accurate in the industry. I don't love him. I don't hate him. But I think at like 15, 20 percent, I'm OK with that. Yeah, you know, there are some guys that rate out really well in my model that I, I just kind of ignore because I just, I just, I'm not feeling it. And I think intuition should play a part. I, I don't think it should be just 100% model based. I say that because Cantlay is number six in my model and I'm just not feeling, I, I am feeling the price. I, I think it's a, I think it's a, a value at that price. I think he could be successful here, but for me, I just think there's too many guys around him that I think have more upside. So, if I play 20 lineups, is he going to be in two of them? Probably, but no more than that. It's not a guy that I'm going to be like, oh, I, you know, I can't wait to play Cantlay this week. So, and Nick, I kind of wanted to kick it back to you because we sort of missed you on the 10K and 9K range. Can you just kind of real quick tell us who you like playing in those ranges? Colin, Rory, Louie. Nice. And Hideki. I like Hideki again. And Okay. So, Joel, if you remember, that's we, we said all of those guys, and we only said a couple beyond that. So yep. it sounds like we're all on the same page here. And then we were and, on like yeah. six guys, and those were four of the six. Exactly. exactly. What, all right, real quick thing, because I missed Are you guys on Bryson or no? He is so low on my model. It's like almost like there's an error with it, but his ownership is like kind of hard. That's the intuition you're talking about here. My model says no. My heart's telling me yes even though i don't like bryson at all as i I mentioned him as a strictly gpp play based on ownership okay yeah that's i mean that that is the only mindset you could possibly have with it right and it's one of those things where like in a single entry or a three max he's just not going to be anywhere near that for me so i mean if you're playing an mme or something having a couple shares or a few shares makes sense but i i mean forget about like again this is this this goes back to modeling and eye test he doesn't pass either of them so it's kind of one of those things where yeah, he makes sense as a purely contrarian play if the ownership is low. Outside of that, I, I don't see it. Can I sell the world on Hideki real quick? Please. So his iron play has been absolutely unbelievable recently. And the only thing that is grading negatively, which is something I did not weight very heavily in my model at all this week, is putting. So see, he's gone. Where'd he go? Um, yeah, all right. Bye, see you. But Joel, all right, thoughts in. Because that is pretty much right where I'm at right now is that Hideki graded out as the number two upside play for me with iron play. For most proximities, it is a target golf course, in my opinion. So I feel like that's also something he should excel in because that's kind of how 
that's usually when he plays really well. It's kind of how he played at the Masters. He's not a bomber by any means or anything like that. It's more, more of where is the ball landing once you hit it, and he's very good at that. So assuming the putting doesn't matter much based on the metrics that we all gathered, unless you guys have a different thought, I think Hideki is an absolute – or Hideki, everybody makes fun of me for saying Hideki. But, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite plays, and right now he's one of the lowest-owned players in the field that is above 7K in pricing. So, to me, that's just, like, an absolute no-brainer. He'll be locked in for me everywhere. I just gave the exact same breakdown. <laughs> Sorry for wasting everybody's time. The exact yeah. same thing. I said, <laughs> he's one of the best ball strikers in the field. He's going to be low-owned. His only weakness is putting, which, you know, is something we usually overweight here. Um, and at this ownership with the guy who's striking the ball as well as him, it's hard to, it's hard to fade him. Boom. So we have a fan of the show here. She's in our Discord as Yamazaki, I believe. She's recently a $10,000 winner, not in PGA, but in LOL of all of all places. Uh, so the question is, which golfers are really going after those ranking points this tournament? So she's talking about the FedEx Cup rankings. It, it's a decent question. I mean, there, there are some guys, in, and I don't know, how Joel, how much you think about this. I think Nick's taking a call, but... I, you know, it's one of those things where like Adam Scott, for example, is in this tournament and he's sort of on the outside looking and he needs to or, or he's like right on the line and he he needs to do well here. And it's like, all right, well, does that mean Adam Scott's going to do well? And I, I'm usually all about the narratives only if in practice they, they've borne out before or if there's something telling me like, oh, well, he's really dialed in or or he left early like like Sung J.M. did and Siwoo Kim to go to the Olympics, which, by the way, that wasn't a narrative I was on. I didn't play either of those guys. But the point is, is like, like, is there something that makes sense of the narrative outside of like, you know, chasing the points? Are they playing well? So the answer to your question, I think, is I don't think I'm really interested in looking that that's something we can dive into. Joel, have you looked at that? So here's my stance on that. I think it's kind of similar to yours in that. I think if this was a, a less loaded field and it was like one of those JV tournaments where there's a couple of guys and a guy needed to put up a place to get into this, you know, to the official, you know, tournaments and things like that, I would be more inclined. But with all the great golfers in this field, it's just, it's not out there to be had, you know, it's, it's not like these are guys are too good. You have to play your best golf no matter what. I don't think the extra motivation, if you need extra motivation, you're not good enough to begin with. So I don't think that's something I'm going to factor in here. Um, that's the type of narrative I would plug into like a JV tournament where it's hard to find the low end guys and things like that, but not in this type of field. No. Yeah. I will say that Fleetwood and Rose are on the outside looking in. Um, there's not a lot of guys that are like really on the line. There's, you know, you got to be in the top 125 to make that first round of the playoffs. And most of the guys that are on that line are not invited to this tournament because, frankly, they're just they're not really good enough to be here. So, um, yeah, it's not something I'm going to be. It's a good question, by the way, because it, it is the FedEx Cup playoffs and people want to qualify for that. But I'm, I'm not really looking at it. And then, oh, here we go. I'm always going to play compliments here. Uh, Yamazaki says, love seeing Sia and Joel every week and bonus awesome seeing sticks in here. Have a great show. Catch up later. Um, so, Joel. I guess I guess we covered the 9K range, didn't we? We did. Let's just jump into the 8K range. Uh, I can kick us off here. I think there is some definite interesting value down here in the 8K range. Um, but my stance with the 8K range is I think there's a lot of guys in the 7K range that are interchangeable with this 8K range. And so for me, I'm just finding those pivots where I can get that salary savings and build more balanced lineups doing so. If I am going to target some guys in this range, 
Some guys that, that I find interesting are Matthew Fitzpatrick. I do think he's a little overpriced, though, for this field. Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham Answer and Cameron Smith. But for the most part, I do actually prefer the 7K range for, for value. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I like a few 8K guys here. Um, some quite a bit. Unfortunately, it looks like, and I'm looking at ownership right now. Actually, they're not as chalky as I thought they'd be. So I think I'm going to skip over Matt, Matt Fitzpatrick, even though I think he's he's a decent play. He certainly looks overpriced. I was going to play Webb Simpson if he was going to be really low owned, but it looks like everybody thinks, hey, this is too low of a price for Webb Simpson. So people are playing him, playing the the upside. You know, maybe he catches the former Webb Simpson. Um I do like Abraham Answer quite a bit. I like Corey Connors a little bit. I don't know if it's enough to play him, but I think Answer, I mean, if we're talking, there, there was somebody in Discord that wanted us, and we'll cover it more later, but wanted us to cover like cash game builds versus like GPP builds. I, for me, Answer feels like kind of like a cash game lock for me. Um, in GPP, it doesn't look like his ownership is super high. So I think you can play him in both, but the ball striking is there, and that's what I'm looking for. He's he's really kind of good across the board. He rates out really, really well in my model. So those are the two guys in this 8K range. Again, I think I'm off of Webb, but I think it's Answer and maybe Connors. But the, the Connors short game worries me, so I'm not really sure what to do with him. And before we pass the day, the one guy that I, I missed out uh, of mine in this range is, is Lowry. Uh, Lowry's been on a tear. I mean, he's been striking the ball really well, um, and he's another guy that – Maybe for me a little overpriced, but uh, the way he's playing, he's someone that I might find a way to, to get into my lineups. But Nick, who do you like here in this AK range? AK range. Can I put Paul Casey in there just because he ranks? Right, you came in late, so that right. counts. Yeah, for sure. All right, perfect. All right, Paul Casey for sure. Um, in the AK range, I do like Corey Counters. I, I do agree with exactly what Sia said. The short game's a little bit alarming, but with how good of a ball striker he is, I kind of have to ride that narrative if I'm on Hideki for the same reason. And then honestly, there no one really graded out like that well. Finau, I, I just I can't do it. Let me actually pull up where he was graded here. He was outside the top twenty for me, so I'm a hard pass there. I like Corey Connors, Cam Smith. I'm interested in Fleetwood, I think, but his game just really hasn't been there. I think it's more of just an intuition play that he was talking about earlier, and that's really it. Shane Lowry. Cam Smith and Corey Connors are the only three people that I will be playing in the AK range. Sorry, Patrick Reed, but not doing it. I like it. I like, and I'm excited because I think by the vibe I got of us kind of breaking down this range, it sounds like we're all kind of in agreement that there's just similar value to be found in the seven K range to help us build better lives. So let's dive into where's that value. Who are those guys that, you know, in my opinion, like I said before, there's plenty of guys in the seven K range that I thought could have been priced in the eight K range. I wouldn't have blinked an eye. So let me just go play those guys and build balance roster. So Nick, let's start with you. Who do you like down in seven K range? Only two guys again. So, um, well, I guess, yeah, I mean, it is two guys. It is Jason Kokrak and his ownership kind of it's 15% right now is what I'm seeing. I hope to see like maybe 10 to 12 range, but with Hideki and uh, Cam Smith that I'm on so much, I think I'll get different just with those two. But Sergio Garcia, or Garcia, sorry, I absolutely love him. No matter how I graded my model with like weight, changing the weights for upside safety, Sergio was top eight every single time, and the average was 6.25. So closer to the top five for me than the top 10, which is absolutely scary. But again, if with how I'm grading ball striking and off the tee, Sergio should absolutely ball out here. He's really good around the green. Same reason I like Cam Smith. They're kind of the same player for me with different prices. So 
I am very all in on Sergio. And then Jason Kokrak just kind of lit up everything in my model. He grades out 13th overall. For a guy that we really haven't talked about, probably having the best year of his PGA career, hasn't really been, you know, an absolute star recently, but at 7,800 and a no-cut event, like we just need him to get to the top 20 range. And just price discrepancy there, like it, it, he just shows up as a huge value for me on my DFS side. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm with you on that. So, yeah, who are you looking at here? Yeah, I, I like Jason Kokrak a lot as well. And I know um, I know we've talked about him a little bit over the last few weeks. Joel, you had him. Did you have him in the lineup that won the 100,000? Oh, yeah. Wow. So there you, you got to play him now. <laughs> well, in, in for the record, uh, that lineup was three. Well, really kind of a half a point away from winning a million. Um, but you know, whatever we can talk, we can rehash that another time, but, um, no, I like Kokrak. I like a lot of chalk, unfortunately here. So I like Harris English a lot. In fact, I've already put it out right on him. He's ranging anywhere between 35 to one because it's been bet down to 50 to one, depending on, on where you got the number and when you got the number. I just, the ball striking so good. If you look at his last five measured rounds, he's gained in ball striking in all five. Okay. Uh, his last six measured rounds he's gained in around the green and he's gained putting in five of the, out of the last six measured rounds. And so what I'm telling you is literally in the last six measured rounds, he's pretty much gained in every department, every tournament, with the exception of like one or two times where he didn't gain, you know, around the green or with the putter. So he's got the complete game. And in a, in a course like this, where the scoring's not going to be off the charts and you're really just going to have to manage the course day to day. A guy with an all around the game like this is, is somebody I'm looking for, which by the way is why he's one of the more popular guys on the slate. So this is one of those where, you know, do you want to eat 7K chalk? Typically you don't because 7K chalk is typically a disaster. But then again, this is a different field. It's a different event. It's a, you know, 7Ks in, you know, in this particular tournament are not your like true 7Ks. They're not like the, 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 the Harold Varner the thirds or, or the Sam Burns's of the world that, that are typically kind of the, the chalky guys in a regular tournament in the seven K range. So I'm willing to play Harris English in GPP, but I definitely think he's like a cash game lock. Um, Terrell Hatton's another guy, like only because of his price, uh, you know, he's, he's looking to be a little popular. So that worries me a bit. Well, again, we'll wait for Steven's ownership article, but he's a guy with plenty of upside. The thing is he's missed two cuts in a row, but those were both at majors. Prior to that, he played the Palmetto, and believe it or not, at the Palmetto, Palmetto, he gained 11.75 strokes ball striking. So, and, and that's just a, maybe that's an outlier. But what I'm telling you is, this elite ball striker who has not been elite was elite recently. It was just last month, and then he's missed two cuts since then. At 7,400, I just think he's such a bargain. So, those are the three guys I like. I like Hatton, I like English, and I like Kokrak the best here. And one thing to add: just not forget from an ownership standpoint. It's a smaller field. So the ownership is going to be higher across the board just because there's less guys to choose from. Mm -hmm. So if you see a guy that you're turned off because he's 20%, really 20% should feel more like a 15% on a regular week just because there's just not as many guys to choose from. So True. keep that in mind. Now, in the semi ring, the good news is I'm on pretty much the same guys. guys. Like, and there's a reason why they're high-owned. There's a reason why they just seem like they're mispriced. So um, Coke Rack, I love. He's you know definitely going to be where he was. He's As of right now, he's in my main lineup. Harris English, also another guy that um, it just makes a lot of sense this week, right? He's a guy that's playing really well. He's 7,600, really affordable. Hatton also on. So, again, same guys. The only guy that you guys didn't mention that, that I'm going back to the well on is Brian Harmon. Brian Harmon has been playing, has been having a great season. He's like, you know, Brian Harmon's not the sexy pick, right? He doesn't do things that are going to 
pop off the page, but he's consistent. He doesn't make many mistakes. Um, and I think that's what's keeping his ownership right now not that crazy because no one looks at Brian Harmon like, I got to get Brian Harmon to my lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think this was a narrative that Sia often brings up where it's like, you know, when someone's name is, and I, I don't know if this is the exact example you use, but someone's name is like Bob Smith, right? Like the, the average Joe name people overlook because they're just the average Joe and they don't have that fun excitingness about them. And that's kind of what Brian Harmon is. Uh, but that's fine by me. He's consistent. He has been showing up week in and out. Even his most recent meet, recent missed cut, it was like a 70 and a 71. He didn't blow up. He didn't have a bad day. He just like barely missed the number. So I think Brian Harmon is someone who's actually getting overlooked, and I will be overweight on him this week. Uh, but I also agree with you guys. I like Sergio Garcia. Um, and I think the other guys, I, I'd be okay if someone wanted to take a shot on Sung J.M. If someone in a GPP wanted to go nuts and try something with Will Zaltors, a GPP only, this is not a cash play. But Will Zaltors, we saw compete in some of these bigger events. He hasn't been playing as well. But at this price, you can roll the dice on, on a bigger field and see um, if he can get you something. So I really like the 7K range. I think we can get uh, some value here. But let's wrap it up down in the 6K range. Uh, Sia, who do you like down there? So I'm hoping you guys can help me with this range. There's a few guys that I've noted that I like. I, I was in our I was in our chat talking about one guy who's literally – 6,000, like bottom of the barrel pricing. And I talked about him on the first cut yesterday too with Rick and his name is Jim Herman. So I don't necessarily want to help with him. And what I want to help with is I'm going to give you a few names and I'm not necessarily sure I'm in love with any of the three. So I'm kind of hoping you guys can sort of give me maybe a few more names to contend with. I do like Jim Herman though. So first of all, he hits fairways. He's got a solid long iron game, which is what you're looking for here. And that's led to three, no, four top 30s in a row. So just let's let's say that again because he's 6,000. He is literally the lowest priced guy. And not only has he made four cuts in a row, but he's been within the top 30 four tournaments in a row. He's also gained in ball striking and in putting in five tournaments in a row. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Jim Herman has gained in ball striking and and also in addition, he has also gained in putting for five tournaments in a row so again i know this is you know you're, you're looking for upside here and you're you know you're looking for guys who can really score and maybe he's not like the big score but he has been finishing top 30 and we see the ball striking metrics to me this is this is a misprice because joel of what you said because of name recognition i mean i'm not saying he should be 7500 but i'm saying if this guy had a really cool name like bryson or brooks or something like that he'd probably be like i don't know 6800 i think you're getting value here Interesting. Interesting. Anyone else in the 6K range? So Stuart Sink and um, let's see, Stuart Sink. He's hit a rough patch, but I do like him. Uh, and I think he I think he grades out pretty well for this course. And Ryan Palmer is sort of my long shot who has not been playing well, but I think he's a guy with potential that can really kind of light it up if he finds his game again. Those are the three guys that I've, I've considered so far. I like that. Nick, who are you looking at down there? I do like Ryan Palmer. He actually grades out 33rd overall in my model. Like, I wish I could tell you why, but I haven't looked into his numbers real quick. One second. Um, yeah, I mean, the only negative thing that he's doing out on the golf course is around the green, and it's very minimal. So I think that's something you can kind of negate, or if the putter gets high, you can kind of hide that. So I do like Ryan Palmer a lot at that ownership with how good of a year he's been having. I know his game, like Sia said, it's not where it needs to be as of late. 
but I have to play KH Lee. It's a TPC property. The guy is a just a walking top 30 finish at TPC properties. So I like him a ton. And then Max Homa actually rated out very, very high for me. A guy that used to be chalking a couple tournaments ago, and then no one's really played him since. I know he had a kind of rough patch, but his game's starting to get back to form. So I do like Max Homa. He is 24th for me overall. So on a DFS price perspective, that was a huge value for me. So that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm kind of going to avoid the 6K range as much as possible. But if I'm jamming in that much Morikawa, it's, it's going to be hard to not have to play one or two of these guys. I hear that. And, and I'm not going to be too heavy down in this range either myself. I will throw it through names out there. Some guys that I think can just compete this week. I am going to start from the bottom of the range when I'm going uh, looking at my plays. And the first name I'm going to throw out there is an interesting one. It's Garrett Higo. Now, Garrett Higo has been on a culture. He's not coming in in the best form. But at 6300 that is a really, really low price. So if you want to get interesting, if you're trying to build a lineup with Brooks and Colin Morikawa or something like that, you'll probably need to dive pretty low. And if you're going to dive low, let's not forget, Higo you know, won three tournaments this year, two on the European Tour in a row, and then came to the U.S. and won the Palmetto. He has since fallen off. He has missed a few cuts. He hasn't been playing great, but we know the upside is there. For, for 6,300, I think that's just a good number at what from looking now almost zero ownership. So from a GPP perspective, uh, that could be interesting. I'm with KH Lee. Uh, I learned, you know, these are the types of courses he excels at. And, and it's like, it's not the type of thing you want to like a narrative that you want to follow, but it's, it's mm-hmm. the truth. I mean, it's, I've won money from it multiple times. And at this point it's working out. So I'll, I'll go away from it when it doesn't work right now. It's working. So um, I will be playing some KH Lee as well. I'm with you with Stuart Sink. He has kind of hit a bit of a cold streak, uh, but Sink has been playing great this year. His ball striking has been good. I think Palmer's interesting at this price. Uh, and then the last guy, the last name I want to throw out here at the, or the plus two are Sam Burns, who just graded out well for a guy in the 6K range. And a, an interesting one is Kevin Kisner. Kevin mm-hmm. Kisner's been playing well recently. Uh, he's the type of guy that kind of is like the surprising guy in these types of events. Like, oh, who would have thought Kevin Kisner would compete here? But he is. He, he's a guy that, that competes. Uh, and at this price is someone that, you know, you can use to make those more top-heavy creative lineups if you choose to do so. Yeah, and, you know, the last two times here, he's been top 30. You know, that's not great, but it's not bad at all, 25th and 27th. He was a guy I was considering. I, I, actually, Nick, because you you arrived a little late, I'm curious, because you mentioned you're, you're putting somewhat of an emphasis off the tee. Um, is distance paramount for you this week? No. Not really, just because uh, the proximities. I think people just need to hit fairways, get their second shot where it needs to be, and you're good to go. Exactly. And honestly, that's exactly what we said at the front end of the show before yep. you got here. So so does that mean you think a guy like Kisner is in play? His irons have been pretty bad, though. Yeah. Um, just Yeah, so that's the only thing for me is like his approach graded pretty negatively. Let me look at just the last 30 days for Kisner just to see if it's starting to trend upward. It's certainly, yeah, I mean, his last 30 days, his approach has actually been awesome. The last six months, it's been negative. He's lost strokes there. But I guess if you play in recent form, yeah, absolutely. He's he's fine. He's barely lost any strokes off the tee. And if distance doesn't really matter, his tee to green is really damn good. So I do like the Kisner call there. Love yeah. it. Um, and it just seems like say like just the intuition thing again. Like a guy like Kisner just seems safe to me because he's he's a good pedigree golfer. It, that's something that matters to me, and especially if it's not a long course. It's only seventy two hundred yards. That's not too bad. He he should be just fine. 
Yeah. yeah, and he's doing a lot lately. If you look at the last 12 rounds, he's second in this field putting, which again, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. It's just something to point out. The long irons are a little concerning, but they're not bad to your to your point, Nick. So he grades out if you I mean again, 12 rounds is not typically what I look at. Uh 24 rounds, he was a little lower, but 12 rounds, he's 26th in this field. So you know, you're looking for upward trajectory. And I think I think Kissner is kind of a sneaky play. I don't mind that at all. I love it. I love it. I, I think we uncovered a lot of good value here. Um, as, as always, I think, you know, at the top, there's a lot of good golfers to pick from, but there is some value to be had this week. We we talked about a lot of those guys. So uh, I'm excited about that, but but we're we not do, done yet. We do have a couple questions, too. There's some good ones, oh, if yeah. you if you don't mind. I'm going to pull yeah, up let's a hit couple. Them. Let's hit the question. Uh, I think you hit Haddon, right? We're good there? I guess that's a pretty good question. I'll kind of let you guys, or maybe, Joel, if you want to take the reins here because you've just been on absolute fire. Yeah. So ownership <laughs> and it, you know, is, is a complete, complete GPP play, right? Like if you're playing a cash game, I don't even consider ownership, play the guys that you want to play. If you're playing a smaller tournament ownership, a little less important, you know, you don't, it's not going to be too many duplicate lines. You're just going to get the best team. If you're going after the biggest tournament of the week, that's where you need to get different, right? If you want to play the most popular players in the biggest tournament of the week, you have to be so perfect. It's going to be really hard to win. So it's almost better where it's like, hey, if someone who's really low owned, you know, plays well this week, which like for some of these guys might not even be a surprise. They're just not the popular pick. Now you've differentiated yourself in this field. And now you have a chance of actually beating hundreds of thousands of people where you won't if you're just playing all the same guys everyone else is playing. So ownership is really it's a, it's more of a style of play and what types of tournament you're playing than it is, you know, anything else. Yeah, and I think you want to, like, in, in your single entries, and I don't, Joel, you might have said this. I was looking at something else because I want to play a really quick game with you guys that that sort of has something to do with this question. You know, in the single entries, they, they, they function similarly to cash games where you don't need to get that different. But in the bigger tournaments like Joel is talking about, the only way you're going to win those probably is if you're if you're different in, in more ways than one. Um, but here's, here's the game I want to play. I wrote down um, – Eight guys that are, in my estimation, the eight guys that are probably going to be the most chalky in this tournament, okay? We don't have the final numbers out. Wind Daily will have that tomorrow. It'll be all over WindDailySports.com and in our Discord. But So here are eight guys that I'm going to, Nick, I'm going to go to you first, and then I'm going to go to Joel. I'm going to go one by one, and, and this is just in the context of GPPs, so tournaments. Let's say average to, to large size tournaments. I'm going to say the name and you're, you're going to say whether you would take them in a GPP or, or, you know, good chalk or bad chalk, essentially. Just in or out, huh? All right. I like in this or game. Out. Yeah. Are you willing to play this chalk or are you just, no way, I'm I'm not interested. So just let's would start... you or would you not, right? The good exactly. old college game. We've all it's been there, right? In a much different context. <laughs> exactly. So, know, okay. Man. So let's start at the top. Um, not the very top because Colin's not really that chalky, but right next to him is Brooks Kepka. So Nick, I'll start with you. Brooks, are you willing to play that chalk or no? I'm out. No, 30%. Damn near. I'm out. Just some principal can't do it. Joel? See, he's not Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> um, he's in my lineups now, but I agree. If I'm looking at 30% by go time, I will be out. Uh, by the way, thank you, Nick, because uh, we're already pumping out the uh, the content for the NFL. And Joel, uh, I should say, Nick has his 80 model. Uh, these are things to kind of live by from a prop standpoint and a DFS standpoint. So we have a lot of really great things. Get in the NFL Discord um, and just kind of listen in, whether it's us listening to us on Sirius or on our YouTube feeds. Um, we have a lot that's going on now, but also a lot coming with all of us, like all three of us, plus 
you know, you know, 10 other people that are involved in the Wind Daily Sports NFL team. Okay, next guy, Jordan Spieth. Good chalk or bad chalk? Are you in or out? In. I, I could all, yeah, he's an around the green magician. I like him a lot. Out. All right. Um, Louis Oosthuizen, in or out? In, double in, triple in. 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 Daniel Berger, in or out? <sighs> he grades well, but I'm going to be out. Scotty Scheffler. Out. In. Uh, Harris English. So out. In. <laughs> uh, Jason Kokrak. In. In. Now, Kokrak isn't looking like mega chalk yet, but I'm just, you know, he's he's up there. Uh, Corey Connors, also a guy that's not mega chalk yet, but might might get there. He's a ping player. I'm in. Uh, out if it's mega chalk. Okay, I'm going to do this real quick. I'm just going to go go over it for, for my answers. And again, these are all assuming these are really chalky guys. It's not that I don't like them. It's that I'm probably not interested in playing them in a GPP. That's what these answers are for. Brooks Kepka, if he truly is in that 30% range, I think I might have to be out as well. Spieth out, Louie in, Berger out. Scheffler, I liked. He's in my initial picks article, but I got to be out. I didn't anticipate his ownership was going to be that high when I wrote that article. So um, Scheffler out. Harris English in. I'll play the 7K chalk reluctantly. Uh, Jason Kokrak probably in. Corey Connors probably out. Can I, I want to add one thought process to this. Mm-hmm. For me, and you know, I wouldn't agree with that, but one of my thought processes with chalk is I'm more okay with eating, and I know this is what most people actually disagree with, the 7K chalk in a field like this because of value and because you know the pivot in the 10K range is another great golfer. Mm-hmm. The pivot in the 7K range is like, I don't know how that person is going to do this week. So I'd rather pivot up top to another great golfer that would be lower owned to pivot in the 7K range, and which to me is a bigger question mark. And that's why you have to contextualize every tournament differently because you're right. I hate taking 7K chalk, but just like I said with, you know, the, the Harold Barner, the third 7K chalk, this is a different tournament. So there's, it's not, it's not really the same. Could it blow up in your face? Yeah, I guess, even though it's a no cut event, but like, it's not the same assessment with your Harris Englishes and Jason Kokrak's versus the guys that we're normally associating with 7K chalk. Agreed. That's fair. That's fair. All right. I'm on English now. You guys win. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That was a good exercise. See, thank you. Yeah, I think um, we should do that maybe weekly. I think that's. A, I think people <laughs> want to hear what. And by the way, all those guys, at least most of them, are good for cash games. Um, so you know that's something to keep in mind. Let's let's get to this question before we go to the the outrights and the um and the first round leaders. So I, this is a core question. We had this in Discord. It might be the same person. If you're doing a twenty max, um. Nick, I'd like to start with you and then and then go to Joel. If you're doing a 20 max, are you are you stuck, or I shouldn't say stuck, are you willing to do a core of three or four throughout all 20? Are you doing 10 and 10? And, and is it three or four? What, what are we doing? Um, me personally, and I think Joel's probably the best guy to answer this just for DFS golf. In NFL, I probably have a different answer, and, and I'll stand by that with anybody. But for golf, I do a – my core is usually 15 lineups of four guys. It's My core is always four people, core four, just, you know, whatever. I, I don't want to be gimmicky there, but it's usually the four guys. And right now, I could say those four guys too. It doesn't really matter. But that I do 15 lineups with those. And then I try to do five lineups that kind of hedge against those for for the most part. And there's there's so like my core is ownership based too. So like those fifteen lineups are probably going to be relatively low aggregate ownership. And then I'll pr- try to play like five lines that are a little more chalky, and then maybe mix one or two of the core in if they fit. Just because I, I do like going 
more all in on golfers as the years gone by. And I kind of took a page out of Joel's book. When I first started doing 150 max, I had like 55 to 60 guys in my field. And some of those lineups, like damn near half of them are fighting each other. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that I, you know, you're either getting first or you're not doing anything. I I want all my laps to go towards the pay line or I'll go the other way and we'll just regroup next week. So long answer long. um, Yeah. I I try to get a core in as much as possible, but in a 20 max, I do want to hedge out five a little bit just because all you're trying to do in a 20 max is get first place for the most part in these one fifties. I just want them all to get across the pay line or, you know, a hundred of them and then see what happens with first place. Cause a 150 max tournament is just such a big field. It's, it's kind of, you know, you're not saying you're playing it to win it. Obviously we'd love to win it, but the odds of it are so slim to none. So, uh, my, my biggest recommendation, I've said this, I say this all the time, never play this guys in every lineup. Never, yeah. ever, ever, ever. Because here's why. I've had this happen to me plenty of times where, uh, you know, my I was wrong on my top guy and he missed the cut and he wasn't any good. But my two through seven was aces. And so now I lose every time because my top guy was in every lineup. Right. So if you pick a, a core of 10 guys, if you if you're even if you're six through 10 are really good. Right. As long as you don't hammer everyone into a lineup, you can still win a lot of money by just making sure you're six through ten have lineups without some of the top guys that maybe you missed on. So none of us are perfect. We can't read this tournament perfectly and pick the exact best golfer every time. So I w- my recommendation is if you're doing it the, the process right and you're picking a good field of guys to play, don't go all in on anyone. Even the guy you like the most, you're better off just playing your field more generally and hoping that 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 hits in general. So real, real quick, Joel, would you say you like your max exposure then is 70% or 80? I, I'm right at 80. So I guess maybe that's a, a better answer to Norton's question here is like, what's your uh, max exposure in, in a tournament like that? I would answer the question differently for 20 lineups and I would 150. So that's sure. two different things. For for 20 max, I would say 70 is probably the right number, 60 or 70, yep. maybe even 80 because you're only playing 20 lineups. For 150, my max is and, – and I don't even get to the max every time is 40. I would try to not go above 35% for one player. Yeah, okay. I figured that's that's kind of exactly where I'm at. I'm at. That's why I said that 15 because I'm my 20 max is I'm like 75 to 80% max. Yeah. Nope. Cool. Well, that was a good question, by the way. Yeah, really good question. Cool. Uh, and then the last I, I see um, – well, Nick, when you go to Myrtle. I would love to go to Myrtle Beach, man. I don't. I've never. I've never been to Myrtle Beach. I've gone all over South Carolina. My dad actually used to work there. Um, not in Myrtle Beach, but I think it was wherever Clemson's at. It was right by there. So I've been there, but I've never been to Myrtle Beach. So I would love to do that, and I obviously love to play golf. So that would be fun. So I'm not going to, to Myrtle, but I'm not going too far actually tomorrow to Bermuda. And the reason I'm going, as I told Sia before the show. Is because the grass at this tournament is Bermuda. So I want to check it out at the real authentic <laughs> place just to make sure so I can see how the guys are going to putt this week. So I'm doing this for the fans, for you guys. This is, yeah, this is real good field work here. <laughs> I mean, Joel is so into Wind Daily Sports PGA golf, and he's made so much money that he was actually able to receive a grant to actually study all of the greens. So he's starting in Bermuda, and he's going from there. It's a media pass. Nice work, man. So I'll really? stay tuned. I'll let you guys know how it goes and give you some more information before uh, before next week's tournament. Um, is there any more questions we didn't touch on? Oh, uh, three, three max. Three max real quick in comparison to the 20 max. So with a three max, you know, it's so small that if you wanted to go all in on somebody like that, I could see just because it's only three lineups. Like you're not, you're not really, I mean, that to me, right? I almost, 
would I almost look at three lineups like it's equivalent of playing for me mentally one where if I want my bottom two guys just mismatch, I'll play the same four and three and mismatch the bottom two, something like that. Actually, because it's only three, so three max, yeah, you, you can you can do it like that if you'd like. Um, and then for, for ownership, you know, the way I look at ownership is if you're going to play some of these super chalky guys that are 25, 30% and you want to get one or two of them in there, totally fine. Just counter that with somebody under 10%, right? And mm-hmm. then that should neutralize what you're doing. I wouldn't, I don't necessarily try to pretzel my brain into figuring out what the total number of my lineup is. I'm just looking at, if I'm playing some super chalky guys, get some low end guys to, to even it out. Yeah, and I think if you're doing the 150 max, Steven has a formula that he talks about in Discord almost weekly in terms of like what your percentage should be. And uh, th- that's pretty fruitful. But like with respect to the the single entries in the three maxes, um, you don't need to worry about it too much. Just if you're going to go chalky with two or three guys, just make sure you're, you're hitting a guy that's like a secret weapon, for example, or a five to 10% guy and you should be okay. Yep, I, I totally this- before we get to the outrights, this is an interesting question because I, I agree with this. I mean, I, I think this is something to be said for if you want to play a chalky guy, um, I mean, obviously I want to kick it to you, but I do agree with the idea that like just and this works for, you know, we do this sticks in, in the NFL too, where, you know, everybody's going to be on Kyler Murray one week. And it's like, all right, that's cool. If he's going to be 30%, I'm going to play him in six or seven out of 10 lineups. And so I'm yep. just I'm just o- overweight on the field, over leveraging the field. Um, is that something, Joel, that you do in golf if you really like a guy and you, you just want to play him? So no. Um, uh, back to my, my original reason for and a few of them. One, even I me mean, who does play 150 lineups, right? There's guys that are going to be more overweight than me. So I'm still not going to get an edge. There's guys that might play 150 or 100, which I'm – I'm never going to do, and I don't want to do. So um, the other reason being guys in, in golf, especially, like, I would even say football, there's guys that are just like, listen, this is the worst run defense in the league, and you're the best running back in the league. There is no, no – th- this guy is going to have a good game. Like you, That's a great point because where, football, you can predict volume. There's things you can predict. You can predict how many carries a running or touches a running back is going to yeah, get. Yeah, golf's a volatile receiver. sport. Much more volatile sport is a good way to summarize it, right? Yeah. And, right, and, and yeah. It's the same thing I said before. If it's that one guy that everyone loves this week that just has a bad week or pulls his back on and withdraws and the rest of your roster was lights out and you went too overweight on him, your whole week's ruined. And that shouldn't be the reason you lose the week. So I won't let that. I've gotten burned doing that before, and that will not be a reason I get burned again. Yeah, and that is a really important distinction. I mean, I, you know, I think you still could do that with Brooks if you wanted to, but it is a really important distinction between – doing DFS in general with golf and doing it with the NFL. There's a lot more predictability from a touches and a volume standpoint and a matchup standpoint. Like you're actually like, you might be the the third wide receiver on a team, but you're matched up against the slot corner. Who's terrible. Like there are things that you can kind of see uh, before they even happen in, in sports like the NFL, where you can't necessarily judge that in, in golf DFS. Echo. Cool. Good Let's stuff, go. guys. These were good questions this week. Keep bringing the heat in the questions because this is great stuff, and we want to answer the questions that you guys have. So uh, thank you for for doing that and uh, and and putting posting your questions in the chat here. But before we wrap up today, let's hit some some first round leaders and some outrights. This is where we are going to punch some big money tickets, and we'll start with Sui. Sia. Who do you like in the outright market? So I only put four down here. I mean, I do think that whoever wins this is probably going to be like, you know, 50 to one or lower, but that's not really super fun. So instead of picking five or six, I just went with four. Rory at 22 to one, 
I don't love it, but I do think Rory at a 22 to one number is value, especially if he pops like I think he might really soon. Uh, Harris English, listen, if you're looking on DraftKings, it's 35 to one. It's not really worth it. But if you were able to get him at like 45 to one or 50 to one, or if you can see it at, at that number, 40 to one, still probably not the best value, but I think 45 would make sense if you could find it. Terrell Hatton, 55 to one. Listen, if he was in good form, this would actually be a good course fit for Terrell Hatton. And I know he's done it before. Yeah, it's been about a year. But we know even at the Travelers, he gained almost 12 strokes ball striking. So he has it in him. And I think 55 to 1 is a big number. And then Jason Kokrak at 60 to 1, because Jason Kokrak is a winner on the PGA Tour, literally and figuratively. I like it. Nick, who are you looking at? Sergio, 60 to 1. That's I like it. that too. That's it. That, he's calling it right there. In placements will be easy. He won't have to worry about the putter. He's going to be in the clubhouse, round one leader. Real quick though, is when you say pin placements will be easy, is there anything to that, or you're just kind of making? No, it? no, I just I'm a, I hope the first day they're easy. That I I don't know anybody at the course that has insider information, but if you guys know somebody out there, that would be cool to know where the pin placements are. Yeah, because these greens do have some modulation that certainly will a lot of rounds will play differently. So if it's a second shot course, pin placement matters, I guess, a lot on this course. In my and opinion. what did you think? What number did you get for Sergio? Sixty. Wait, this is outright, by the way. These are the outrights, right? Oh, uh, outright I got 70 to 1 on DraftKings. 70, yeah. So we got 70 to 1. That's, that's like that number. But you guys have made uh, a great mistake. I do have Paul Casey as well and JT is okay. my outright. So those are the three. What's uh, what's Casey's number? 29 to 1 on FanDuel. JT is 18 to 1 on DraftKings. I, I like Casey. I'm going to co-sign on that one. Okay. I like it. I like it. Uh, you left out. The, the actual one. 250 to 1. Oh, God. Jim Herman. Lee. Oh, yeah. This is the question. If you're going to give me 250 to 1 with the KH Lee at this event, everyone put a dollar on that. It's it's a must. You have to. Yeah, that's true. You got to do that. All right. I'm in. We're going to compete. We're going to, we're going to throw 250 to 1. That's a lot. And it's probably what it should be, to be honest, because he's not nearly as good as most of the guys in this field, but he plays well on these courses, and that's what matters. Now, in terms of getting back to reality, um, <laughs> if you want to throw, maybe uh, I, I do like Hatton at fifty-five to one. I think that's that's really interesting. I like Cup Crack at sixty to one. Um, but my pick to win this week, uh, and it's you know, not the the biggest number, but twenty-five to one. I'm going to go with Victor Hovland. All right, I like that. Now we go to the real money maker, the first round leader. Nick, who do you got? Yeah, that was Sergio, sixty to one. My bad. I got to pay attention more. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. See, who are you looking at for the first round leader? All right. I, I think my breaking news is going to go like way off the range here. Okay. So I, I wrote down five. I'll give you the four and then I'll tell you the breaking news, but I'll, I'll, I'll cut down the breaking news a little bit. Don't worry, guys. Uh, Corey Connors, 45 to one. Jason Kokrak, 50 to one. I actually have Sergio down here at 60 to one. I don't know that I think he can do it for four rounds, but he can definitely do it for one. Um, Jim Herman, 130 to one. Uh, We've talked about him earlier in the show. My breaking news, the guy who's actually going to be the first round leader come Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. It's none other than a guy that's 75 to one and just hasn't been good lately, which is why he's 75 to one. But his stats aren't terrible. And I like the number. And I am president of his fan club. So I have to go with none other than Ryan Palmer. He will be your first round leader. Thursday evening, 75 to 1. You're welcome, America. 
I like it. I like Ryan Palmer. And I think that's that's somebody I had my eye on. Um, I have two. I have two first-round leader plays. The one I'm going to throw out, I think if he can carry some momentum over from the last tournament's Cameron Champ at 65-1, to one, maybe a first-round kind of explosion. I don't think he'll last for four days. But my favorite first-round leader play is 80-1. to one. We're getting Max Homa. I just think that's mm. too good of a number for him. He can come out okay. of a hot first day. So I like Homa at 80-1. to one. I'm in. Co-sign on that one, too. I'm adding Casey, and I'm adding Homa to my card. I love it. I love it. Guys, we just gave you the keys to make a ton of money this week. Just go follow them and then come back next week and tell us how rich we all got. Good <laughs> luck, everyone. Any final words from you, Nick? No. Go White Sox. That's it. Oh, uh, no. No, not yet. Maybe maybe Joe 3 Smith should have the final word here. Big fan, longtime listener, brand new owner of a Win Daily membership. He probably watched us on SiriusXM and – chimed in on the tweets, which we put out and, and lately been given free memberships out. Uh, keep up the good work, fellas. Very much appreciated. And then we have Andrew here. Uh, we love the accolades. We'll always put them on the screen, and uh, we want everybody to win. That's that's the bottom line, honestly. I love it, guys. Listen, the Just show- wait for NFL. Can I can I pump up NFL? Because it. it's going to be, it's gonna be badass. We, we got good stuff dropping that I'm working on. That's why I'm not really in the golf stuff as much right now. But Oh, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, you know, he's there. What are you working on? Just uh, it's a, like a stack value ranking. So I found all the uh, historical data on DraftKings and FanDuel outputs and their pricing. So I'm doing like a back study on you know what is actually the best value stack so you could afford the best optimal lineup. So like a lot of people, just week one they're gonna go Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek, and then have shit to do. Um, but a lot of the times it was a uh, the most valuable stack to afford the optimal lineup outside of that was like Herbert and Keenan Allen. So, and just guys like that, people that are like mid price like that. So we'll have a, based on the 80 mile projections, a stack value rank on the website to say like, you know what? Sure. The output of Kelsey Mahomes is projected higher, but the value overall points per dollar, because basically if you're not stacking, you should always stack. Like if you're playing a quarterback, that's not Lamar Jackson. Let's say you need to be stacking him with his number one target. Unless it's like a Joe Burrow and, you know, everybody's going to have a 15 to 20% target share and Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Higgins. You get it. Now now we're talking too much football. You got well, to Let me ask you a quick question. No I have a question about stacking. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Do you only stack one receiver? Will you stack two receivers? What do your stacks look like? It depends on the offense. So it all depends on the target share. Like last year with Seattle and the year before with Seattle, the targets were only going to Tyler Lockett and only going to DK Metcalf. So that was an easy one to do double because when Russell – it's a lot of the back testing too, and I could share this data on Discord. But when Russell had his best games, both those guys went off. When Herbert had his best games, it wasn't like a, a combo thing of like Jalen Guyton went off and uh, Mike Williams, my boy Hunter Henry. Like the, the guys that were mostly stacked in doubles with, I'm just doing a lot of Charger stuff right now with Justin Herbert. It was usually a double stack of Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry, and Hunter Henry didn't hit value. So it all depends on like the offense and how they spread out the ball. And if you know their system and I'll do a write up on every system too. So it's a busy month for me, but it's a, uh, it's a lot of cool stuff that we'll have. It'll just be like a stacked value rank. I, we got to find a better name for it on the uh, NFL tab, but it should be shown on right before week one, maybe a week before week one, maybe 10 days before we'll see, but that will be very cool. And there'll be like little data behind it to be like, you know, optimal Russ Wilson, go lock it and Metcalf or whatever the case may be. But yeah, you short answer. I usually just do one, but it depends on the offense. 
like this year, I'm expecting Michael Hardman to have such a good role, and he's way too cheap week one, so you could certainly double stack, hell, even triple stack with Kelsey because all that offense does is throw the football. So, Well, I think what's interesting and, and what I want to just highlight is this is the type of stuff that makes a difference, especially in NFL, right? Most most websites mm-hmm. are going to tell you this team's corners hurt. Play that receiver. That's it, right? And everyone can see that, and that's not going to get you right. We want to find the difference. Of course, everyone's going to play Mahomes. So how do we know what the value is in finding? You know, really statistically, we should play the guy three thousand dollars cheaper who has the better matchup, and then stack his team, right? And that's how you get it, make a difference and make yourself some money in the NFL. So that's yeah, awesome. there's so many examples of that. And and just back to your question to Nick, I mean, you might have a game like the Chiefs versus the Bills, which I think might have happened last year, um, early in the season, where I actually had. What was it? No, it was the Cardinals and the Bills, I think. I actually had um, DeAndre Hopkins. I had Kyler Murray, but I also had Christian Kirk, and then I had two guys on the way back. And so instead of chasing a bunch of points in three or four different football games, I really concentrated five, which is you know half of my lineup, more than half my lineup, on just that game because my assumption was – that game's just going to get out of control. I'm pretty sure that was the game where Hopkins caught the pass at the, you know, um, the game-winning catch that yeah, Kyle Murray flung up there, and it, that that throw and catch vaulted me up to second place in this huge single-entry tournament. My point is, is if you can find that game, it's not necessarily just about stacking the quarterback with the receiver and bringing it back with one guy. Add a couple more guys to that. If you got wide receiver two there, and, or a tight end on the other side that you're running back that you like that you think is going to get targets and carries. You're golden. You found the game. Yeah. And like week three, for example, this is again, value stacks and stuff like that. The Panthers are going to Houston to play the Texans. There's no bye weeks. So ownership won't be crazy high, but if like Sam Darnold's 5,600, cause he has to play the jets, that game's probably going to be really low paced. I don't know what to expect with Zach Wilson and the new head coaching staff at, in New York, but then they go to the saints. They're probably going to get throttled and that'll be a slow paced game as well. So maybe, you know, Darnold's probably should be below six K in week three. And there's no buys, so it's a full slate. And the Texans' pass defense is awful. I could probably start a cornerback, and I only got one knee. Um, but that's you know maybe you go Darnold, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and you just, and you could probably put McCaffrey in there, or just go two of the three and absolutely go wild, and then get someone you know Brandon Cooks on the other side or whatever you want to do if you believe in 4K price, David Johnson. A lot of cool stuff. And then and then you go get Kelsey because you can afford him now. And then you can get you know you could pay McCaffrey like. That's value stacking, and that's like what this back test is showing. And you know, I, told, I said it last year in week 16, um, when in the NFL, uh, the best stack of that week was using Brandon Allen for Cincinnati. And the guy, I think, was the number three overall quarterback, but like points for a dollar by like tenfold anybody else. So, stuff like that, you can get a big time edge because you could afford the Kelsey's, Mahomes, and all that, and not having shit running backs because you need volume at those main positions. So, finding the value stacks are going to be important. And I knew it all along, but I wasn't necessarily sharing that in a visual way with Win Daily. So I had to figure something out this off season. So that's what I'm doing right now. I was going to say, Nick is so far ahead of everyone that he's in. Oh, I already got my week three lineup built. He's anticipating <laughs> players. I just need to know what the prices are in week one yeah. and two. So they'll be low owned by week three. So he can hammer them home. <laughs> that's amazing. That's that is next level now. He already has his lineups built for week three, and he's probably not really being facetious there. Like he pretty much knows exactly where he's going, and he—that's just—I love it. I mean, I, I we could talk about NFL for the next like twelve hours straight. Yeah, you guys want to keep going to like midnight? <laughs> well, do we want to? Yes. Unfortunately, I have to go to Bermuda and check out the grass. So, hey, yeah, have a good time. <laughs> good luck, everyone. Another uh, successful show. We're gonna have a successful week. 
I will see you next Tuesday. Let me know how much money you won. And see ya. So there's just, I totally forgot. Uh, one more thing. Oh man, this is embarrassing. Sports.